Third John is where we're going to start again uh, tonight. Third John, and we're going to continue on with our series here. Biblical prosperity is uh, just a, a series that we started at the beginning of the year. I was kind of thinking it would be about four services. And then I realized that there's too much material to cover in just four services. So uh, it's taking us a little longer, but that's okay. Um, these, are, these are important things to discuss and look at. Um, we've looked at spiritual prosperity. We've looked at emotional prosperity. Uh, last couple of times we looked at uh, physical prosperity and what the Bible says about how we can have physical wellness and uh, I know that that's not the primary focus of the Bible, but it does touch on it. And so it's important for us to look at as well. Um, well, tonight we're going to turn our attention to financial prosperity. And the launching, uh, the launching pad for this series is found here in 3 John verse 2. But again, let's pick it up in verse number 1 where the Bible says, The elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, and then John says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And so in this series, we've looked at several different areas of our lives that God desires that we would prosper in. And again, it's, I'm not saying that, okay, physical prosperity, you're never going to get sick. You're never going to come down with any type of health uh, issue. No, I mean, all, all of us deal with that. We, we, we live in a sin-cursed world. Our, our bodies are going to die at some point, and we're going to deal with uh, physical ailments from time to time. Uh, some who have to deal with physical ailments really their whole lives. Um, the Apostle Paul had that thorn in the flesh that he had to deal with and asked the Lord to remove it, and God said, no, you need it to keep you humble. And, uh, and so what we're going to be talking about tonight is financial prosperity, or at least starting to talk about it. Um, I, was, I was putting these principles together. I was like, again, there's no way I'm going to be able to cover this in one in one message, and then I looked at the weather tonight, and I'm like, yeah, we're going to need to try to keep this a little shorter than, than, than go longer tonight. Just we want to get, get people home safely. So um, I'm only going to go through the general principles tonight. Um, but again, as we go through this, it's not to say that every, every believer is going to be uh, super wealthy and filthy rich. That's not the purpose of this message. That's not the uh, emphasis of the Bible, but God does give us practical uh, principles for our finances that if we are to follow them, if we trust them and obey them, uh, then it's going to impact us in a, in a much better way than if we totally ignore God's word regarding uh, finances. So tonight we're going to dive into this. Um, Third John Verse 2 is the launching pad, but then let's go to turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And uh, this is the New Testament uh, instruction manual for our mentality regarding finances. I want to take a moment and read through this passage because it <clears throat> it's very convicting and it helps us to put things in perspective. 1 Timothy 6 in verse number 6, 
Paul says to Timothy, he said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the world would say, no, 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 great gain equals a huge bank account. That's great gain. Or if you have a job that earns you buku bucks, then that's great gain. Or if you get an inheritance or win the lottery, uh, then that's great gain. That's not the, what God says, though. God says godliness with contentment, that is great gain. Okay, verse number seven. For we brought nothing into this world, okay? Uh, now, well, somebody might say, well, yeah, well, I was born into a rich family. That's, that's different. Uh, that, what, what, we're, what he's saying here is every, every person when they were born uh, had not a, not, not a coat to their name, okay? Uh, they came out owning nothing except for the skin that they had on. That was it, Okay. We brought nothing into this world, then it is certain we can carry nothing out. And you've all heard the old adage, you know, there's no U-Haul uh, following a hearse, except for one time I did see a picture of it, and they're like, okay, that ruined that whole thing. Uh, there, there actually was a U-Haul following a hearse, <laughs> and somebody took a picture of it like, aha, that's a lie. Uh, it does exist, uh, but you can't, you can't carry anything with you okay so verse number eight having food and raiment let us be therewith content verse number nine here's a very stern warning for those who are focused on finances and their their whole lives are focused on money they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then verse number 10, most of us are familiar with this phrase, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And it is important to understand it's not, money's not the root of all evil, it's the love of it. Okay, for the love of money is the root of all evil, but verse 10 doesn't end with that, because he issues another warning here, which while some coveted after... They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, and now if you would jump with me down to verse number 17. Uh, verse number 17 says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may hold, lay hold on eternal life. Um, so this is a very clear passage on our mentality that we are to have as believers regarding money. And uh, you can tell there that there's a tremendous um, sense of warning in this passage that money and the love of it has caused so many problems in people's lives and in marriages and in their Christian life. Um, this, If we don't have this right, it can hinder our relationship with God. And we said at the beginning of the series 
with, with the different areas that we've looked at, they all are connected, aren't they? Our spiritual life is connected to our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, and even our financial well-being. And if we're not right with God, it's going to impact each one of the other areas of our lives and, and vice versa. If we're not right with God, uh, or if, if we're not right financially, it's going to impact the other areas of our lives. And uh, that's, that's so true in, in every area. Now, you say, well, how important is money in the Bible? Okay, well, consider this statistic. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Out of those three Gospels, which uh, detail the life of Christ, one out of every six verses deals with money. Wow. So we're not even talking about 10% here, and if it was 10%, that would be a big number, but it's far greater than 10%. So one out of every six verses deals with money, and of the 29 parables Christ taught, 16, over half of them, deal with a person and his money. So is money and possessions and finances all that important in the Bible? Oh, yes, it is. Um, now, there are, there are a ton of Bible principles regarding money and and uh, next time, I think we'll get into some more specific things, but I wanted tonight to just focus on some general principles regarding money that are found in the Word of God. And I'm not going to, um, my wife and I were talking about this earlier, and I said, you know, I am not a global economy expert. I'm not a financial advisor. Um, I'm not an expert when it comes to money, but that's not the purpose here, of, and I don't need to be. Um, I'm just going to show you what the Bible says, what God says. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's some uh, good advice out there. I mean, you know, how many of, how many have taken uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University? Okay, a few of you have, and I have as well. Um, and uh, I'm thankful for Dave Ramsey and, and his uh, advice and counsel, uh, but... And, and I know most, most of it is based on the Bible, but, but some of it's based on his opinion and his experience. And, uh, and I, I'm not against any of that, but tonight the purpose of this, mess, this series is to look at biblical uh, principles regarding these, these issues. Okay. So with that being said, let's dive into some general uh, principles regarding money. First of all, uh, let's remember, we need to remember that everything we have is ultimately and belongs to him. We are simply stewards. We need to remember that everything we have is ultimately from God and belongs to Him, and we are simply stewards. James 1.17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness Neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. So you say, well, I've got kind of a big bank account. Great. But don't ever forget where it came from. It came from him. You say, well, no, 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 I, I, I worked for it. I, I earned it. It was through my ingenuity and my expertise in a certain field. Uh, that's where it came from. 
Okay, I'm going to ask you now to turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Just a good reminder for us. I know most of us have this in our minds, but just again to reemphasize it, that everything that we have is ultimately from God and belongs to Him. And, and those who would say, well, okay, I kind of get that, but, but I'm the one that earned it. I mean, I, I am the one that gets up in the morning and, and uh, brushes my teeth and combs my two hairs and, and goes to work and uh, earns that paycheck. I bring home the bacon. It is me that is doing it. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 8, look in verse number 17. And now, and now say in thine heart, now, now God is trying to uh, kind of warn the people there as they get ready to go into the promised land. And, and uh, he said, he said I, I'm, I want you to not say in your heart here, verse number 17, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Okay, Th- this is the person who says, okay, yeah, my bank account is big because I earned that money. I worked for it. He said, you better be careful because you'll say this in your heart. But verse 18 says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. So he said, you need to remember it was God who gave you the ability to work in the first place. The job that God gave you, or the job that you have, remember who gave it to you. And the ability that you have to work in that particular field, God gave you that ability. And don't ever forget that ultimately, He's the one that gave you that ability. And it, it came down from the Father of lights. It didn't come down just because of your blood, sweat, and tears. Yes, I know that you earned it, but God gave you the ability and the health and the wisdom to be able to earn it. And we need to recognize that it comes from God. Uh, Psalm 24 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in it, therein. He owns it all. Okay, So everything that we have belongs to Him, or came, came from Him, but it also belongs to Him. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Really, the Lord owns it all. You say, well, this is my money. Uh, be careful about that mentality. Um, w. Graham Scroge said this, there are two ways in which a Christian may view his money. The first way is this, how much of my money shall I use for God? Okay, that's one mentality. But then there's another mentality that says, how much of God's money shall I use for myself? See, two mentalities. One is recognizing that the money actually belongs to God and one who thinks that money belongs to them. Now, you say, well, it's just semantics. Uh, it's a actual heart mentality that uh, is very, very important for us to make sure we have the right one. 
Remember that everything we have is ultimately from God and belongs to Him, and we are simply stewards, managers of that money, of those gifts. And we need to be wise and uh, follow God's word regarding that. So first general principle is that everything we have really came from the Lord Himself, and it belongs to Him. And we're simply stewards. A second general principle regarding our finances is to simply this, keep God first in your finances. Really, we're to keep God first, period, and you can, or keep God first in your, and you fill in the blank, whatever area we're talking about, in your marriage, in your personal thought life, um, in your entertainment choices, um, in your schedule we can fill in the blank there. So this, this principle goes far beyond just finances, but, but it certainly applies to finances too. Uh, turn in your Bible, if you would, to Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3, and most of us are familiar with verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. That's what Proverbs chapter 3 is most famous for, is verses 5 and 6. But there's other verses in the chapter, too. And I want to show you a couple other ones. Proverbs chapter number 3 and verse number 9. God says here, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. And verse number 10, here's what happens when we put God first and keep God first in our finances. You say, financial prosperity, um, give and it shall be given unto you. Uh, verse number 10, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. So when we're faithful to honor the Lord and keep him first in our finances and to uh, honor him with the first fruits of all our increase, God says, your barns are going to be filled with plenty. You're going to have enough. He didn't say you're going to be rich and filthy rich and you know, everywhere you go, you know, being able to afford the most expensive house, the most expensive cars, the most expensive clothes, the most expensive food. No, he just simply says, you're going to have enough. I'm going to take care of you. If you honor me with your finances and you keep me first in your finances, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, Matthew 6, let's turn over there. A couple more passages under this thought. In Matthew chapter 6, keeping God first in our finances. Not Uncle Sam. Nobody really wants to put Uncle Sam anywhere in their finances. I get that. I'm with you. Uh, but Uncle Sam makes it so we have to think of him. And we're getting ready to have... We're getting ready for another tax season. Yay. Um, we have to give a portion of what we make to Uncle Sam. We have to, uh, most of us have to give a portion of what we make to the bank that owns our home. Uh, we have the electric company who keeps our house uh, cool in the summer and lights on in the winter and and we have to give it to the city for uh, taking our trash out and all the rest. And you name all the other things that you have to 
honor with your finances? Well, we need to first honor him, the Lord, who gave us the money in the first place first. Keeping him first in our finances. Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said here, no man can serve two masters for he will... For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then in context there, jump to verse number 33. Uh, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Does that include our finances? Yes or no? It does. It includes every aspect of our life, but it also includes uh, finances. So keeping God first in our finances. And then uh, one more quick passage here is 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Uh, let's turn over there. There might be somebody who would say, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to put the Lord first in my finances. I just simply can't afford it. Now, can I kindly say this? You really can't afford not to put God first in your finances. Uh, When you consider all the promises of God's word regarding finances, it really makes no sense to neglect him and to put him in the back burner and and give him your leftovers. Aren't you glad God didn't give us his leftovers? Uh, He gave us his very best when he gave. He gave his son. He didn't just go find some little chump change and said, oh, I'll throw this in the orphan plate. No, he gave us his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a church in, um, or the churches of Macedonia in uh, Philippi. And uh, let's look here in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we do to you wit, I'm sorry, we do you to wit, or to kind of be aware of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. And so there's more in this passage that we could look at, but I'll stop there for sake of time and just simply say this. These churches were not super wealthy. They weren't rolling in it. And yet they were still generous. And they decided in spite of the fact that they were poor, they were going to still put God first in their finances. And so I want to encourage us, no matter how rich and how good things get for us or how uh, difficult things get for us financially, that we always keep God first in our finances. And I know I'm preaching in the choir in, in most cases here, but, um, but you know, regardless of where you are on the spectrum right now, whether you're doing really well or struggling to make ends meet, living paycheck to paycheck and still not having enough left over to still trust the Lord and obey him and keep him first in your finances. Keep God first in your finances. Next is to be diligent and work hard. 
This is a biblical principle. Uh, God uh, doesn't bless sitting on the couch. Um, I know that there's people who make money while sitting on the couch because they have all these streams of passive income. And, and uh, if you're one of those, I'd like to shake your hand. But, but to get started with those, guess what happened? You had to be diligent, right? Uh, you can't just sit on the couch and expect someone to knock on your door and give you a whole bunch of money. Here's just three verses that uh, go along that line there. Proverbs 10, verse number 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. So if you're a slacker, guess what's in your future? Poverty. You're not willing to work. You're not willing to get off the couch and do something. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So those who are willing to get up and do something and to work and to be diligent, uh, that, lend, that tends to uh, richness. Proverbs 19.15 is another one. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Those who, again, are lazy and slothful and, and uh, just idle, they're going to come to poverty. They're going to be hungry. Um, and they're not gonna. They're gonna go to the fridge, and they're gonna be like, "There's nothing to eat, and there's nothing. I I can't even afford DoorDash. What am I gonna do?" Because they're slothful and idle. And then Proverbs thirteen four is another one: "The soul of the sluggard desireth, and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made." This may not sound good at first. Shall be made fat. Who wants to be fat? <laughs> when it comes to this, I do. <laughs> um, and I know last Wednesday we talked about taking care of our bodies and all of that. This is, this is a reference to uh, those who have plenty and uh, those who have abundance. The soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Those who were diligent and hard workers and uh, they're, they're going to have plenty in abundance. But the soul of the sluggard, the soul of the, the one who just sits there and does nothing is always complaining about how bad their life is. Well, maybe if you get off the couch, maybe get out of the house, maybe shave and look nice, go apply for some work. There's lots of places hiring right now. Just went through the t Taco Bell drive through over on 19th by Sam's Club. A bunch of signs all over the windows, now hiring. Okay? So uh, those who are uh, slothful, uh, they're going to they're gonna have, uh, they're going to not have much, but those who are diligent are going to have much. A fourth general principle here, uh, don't trust in your money. Don't trust in your money. Let's turn back to 1 Timothy 6 for this. Don't trust... In your money. Am I even going to get through this message tonight? That is the question. Yes, I think I can. Don't trust in your money. Look in verse number 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Charge them, Timothy, that are rich in this world. And in case you're wondering, we're rich in this world. <laughs> um, all of us in this room. You say, oh, I... 
I'm paycheck to paycheck. I, that doesn't mean you're not rich. Do you have a cell phone? Do you have a car? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have clothes on your back? We're rich. We're really rich. So charge them that are rich in this world, okay, so that's us, that they be not high-minded, not kind of like, well, I'm kind of rich. <laughs> and I'm better than somebody else because I've got money. No, charge them that they be not high-minded. And then here it is, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So don't trust in your money. Well, why not? Well, Proverbs, well, verse 17 says, because they're uncertain. You say, no, no, I got a bunch of money in my 401k. Okay, well, the thing is, again, I'm not a global economy expert, but uh, go back to the Great Depression. They thought they had it all set. And then just in a matter of a short time, it all came crashing down, 2008. What happened? It crashed again. Is it going to happen again? Maybe. But regardless, it's uncertain. You say, well, if we just had a Republican uh, president, then everything would be secure. Okay, well, maybe. And maybe only for those four years, but then what after that? See, our, our riches are, are not certain. And so we, we ought not to... Uh, trust in those. Proverbs 23, 5 tells us this. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not for riches? Certainly make themselves wings and they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And I've found that to be true in my own life. I mean, it's, it's difficult to earn the money, but once it comes, it's way easy to spend it. And uh, those, those dollars end up kind of like forming wings and flying away from my bank account all of a sudden. And it's annoying, but it happens. And uh, when we trust in those things that don't last, that um, are uncertain, then uh, we're putting our trust in something that uh, we ought not. Uh, Psalm 62 and verse number 10 is another verse. Trust not in oppression. And become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. Let's say you get a big bonus, a big raise, an inheritance, a huge windfall of some sort. God says, don't set your heart upon them. Uh, but too often we are drawn to do that. Proverbs eleven twenty eight is another verse. He that trusteth in his riches. This is a tremendous verse here. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Don't trust in your riches, because if you do, the Bible says you're going to fall, because it's a bad place to trust. It's a bad place to lean. Jeremiah 9, in verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but, him, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let's not glory in our riches. 
It's not glory in how much we have. And, and, and Jesus said, our lives do not consist of the things that we have. That's not who we are. We, don't, we should not find our identity in our possessions. Too many teenagers do this. You know, what do, what do I have and what kind of cool gadget do I have that's a status symbol? When the iPhones first came out, you know, it was kind of like you, you, you just kind of pull it out just to show that you have one. You know, nowadays, it doesn't really matter. Um, and uh, somebody who pulls out a flip phone, that actually becomes a status symbol. Like, cool, how'd you get that? You know, you still have one of those? Those are awesome. I wish I could go back to that. And then no more notifications and no more uh, just drain of time. Man, where do you get that? That becomes now the status symbol. Anyway, but, but let's not glory in the things that we have, but rather glory in that we know the Lord. Now, what does every piece of American currency have written upon it? In God we trust. To remind us that we ought not to place our trust in that coin or in that dollar bill, but instead to trust the Lord. So instead of trusting in uncertain riches, Paul said, let's trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It's not like we're gonna, he's going to leave us empty-handed and he's going to leave us destitute. He's going to give us things that uh, he wants to bless us with when our, place, when, our, when our faith and trust is in him. So fourthly, fourth general principle is don't trust in your money. Fifth general principle is to refuse to develop a love for money. And uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse number 9 They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, One one day a certain old rich man of a miserable disposition visited a clergy member who took the rich man by the hand and led him to a window. He said, look out there. He said, the rich man looked onto the street. Well, what do you see? Asked the clergyman. Well, I see men, women, and children, answered the rich man. Again, the clergyman took the uh, old man, the old rich man by the hand, and this time led him to a mirror. And said, now what do you see? He said, now I see myself, the rich man replied. Well, the, the, the clergy uh, said this, Well, behold, in the window there is glass, and in the mirror there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little bit of silver. And no sooner is the silver added that you cease to see others, but you only see yourself. Do you get the point that he was trying to make? One you can see through, but once you add in silver, once you add in money, all of a sudden, it all becomes about you. Uh, A.W. Tozer put it this way, money often comes between men and God. Someone has said, Tozer uh, wrote, that you can take two small 10-cent pieces, just two dimes, and shut out the view of a panoramic landscape. He said, go to the mountains and just hold two coins 
closely in front of your eyes. The mountains are still there, but you cannot see them at all because there is a dime shutting off the vision in each eye. So it doesn't take large quantities of money to come between us and God. Just a little bit placed in the wrong position will effectively obscure our view. What a powerful thought. Many people think money is security, but 1 Timothy 6.9 warns us that it can be just the opposite. And 6.9 says, uh, They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Uh, a few years ago, columnist Jim Bishop reported what happened to people who won the state lottery. You would think that they would be happy people, and I suspect some of them are, but not always. It's not a guarantee. A lady by the name of Rosa Grayson of Washington won $400 a week for the rest of her life. That's not that much money every year, but when you compound that over an entire lifetime, it is. Well, what does she do? She hides in her apartment. That's her life. Then uh, when the McGugarts of New York won the Irish sweepstakes, they were initially happy. Pop was a steam fitter. Johnny, 26, was loading crates on docks. Tim was going to night school, and so Pop, once he won, split the million with his sons. And they all said the money wouldn't change their plans. Well, a year later, the million wasn't gone, it was bent. The boys weren't speaking to Pop or to each other. Johnny was chasing expensive racehorses, and Tim was catching up with expensive girls. Mom and Pop weren't getting along, and within two years, all of them were in court for non-payment of income taxes. It's the devil's own money, Mom said. Both boys were studying hard to become alcoholics. And all of these people hoped and prayed for for sudden wealth. All had their prayers answered, but all were, were wrecked on a dollar sign. So we need to avoid and uh, to refuse to develop a love for money. The antidote, of course, for the love of money is living a life of contentment and gratitude. 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8, Having food and raiment, let us there be, with, uh, let us be there with content. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Uh, let's refuse... Uh, to develop a love for uh, money. And then last thought here, and I'll end with this, and that is decide to be rich toward God. If you're going to desire to be rich, don't be desirous to be rich in this life, financially speaking. And it's not wrong to have money, by the way. Uh, and it's not wrong to have nice things. God does give us all things richly to enjoy. And, and, and for some, he does choose to uh, bless in this way, but, but not always. And, and we ought not desire it with like our whole heart and our whole life. But instead, we need to, with our whole heart, desire to be rich toward God. Luke chapter 12, I won't turn there tonight, but that's the Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, is the, is the story of the rich man who 
uh, had so much and he built, he, he had all this and he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm so rich. I'm going to tear this barn down and I'm going to build bigger ones. And then I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. The problem was that God said, well, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, thou fool. And he said, uh, you need to desire not to be rich in this, in this life and to lay up treasures for yourself, but instead you need to desire to be rich toward God. Uh, John G. Wendell and his sisters were some of the most miserly people of all time. Although they had received a huge inheritance from their parents, they spent very little of it and uh, all they did uh, and, and, and did all they could to keep their wealth for themselves. John was able to influence five of his six sisters to never marry. And they lived in the same house in New York City for 50 years. They had all this money and they hoarded it and they just kept it. And for 50 years, John and his five sisters lived in this house for 50 years. When the last sister died in 1931, her estate was valued at more, more than $100 million in 1931. Her only dress was one that she had made herself, and she had worn it for 25 years. Wow. The Wendells had such a compulsion to hold on to their possessions that they lived like paupers. Even worse, they were like the kind of person Jesus referred to who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So again, not wrong to have money. But let's not just hoard it for ourselves and say, well, I just want to be rich. Um, let's instead desire to be rich toward God. Because real richness has little to do with how much money someone has. Real wealth has little to do with how big your bank account is. Um, having a relationship with God that's priceless. Having the promise that you're going to be in, in, in heaven for all of eternity, you can't put a price tag on that. I, no one can pay for that. It, you can have all the money in the world. You can be Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates combined and still not be able to afford the gift that you and I have in salvation. Having that, having a, a, a loving family relationship, having a loving uh, marriage that's, that's hard to put a price tag on. There's lots of people who have 